Random Thoughts can now be found on iTunes. So please go try to find us there. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a good review, we would be very much grateful. Hey, husband. Yes, wife. What's green and sings? Oh, please, wife. Elvis Parsley. <sighs> wow. Welcome to Random's Thoughts. I'm Wife. And I'm Husband. And we are back from Gen Con. What episode are we on, Wife? Eleven. I knew you didn't know. That's why I asked. It goes to eleven. Really? Yeah. You didn't use that as the opening joke? Now you're making me regret my Elvis Parsley. You should. That joke was terrible. I don't care. Anyway... So did you have a good Gen Con, wife? I had a wonderful Gen Con. How about you, husband? I had a lot of fun. We played a lot of different stuff. I was relatively successful in a number of things that I played. We, and we demoed a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, we demoed a lot of cool stuff. We lost a lot of money by demoing the cool stuff. <laughs> and by demoing the cool stuff, she means coming home with the cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, that would be me. So, spoiler alert, we have a number of things for the next few episodes for Off Topic. Yeah, and we have a number of things that we need to play the heck out of to get their monetary value back on. Oh, yeah. we. Uh, it's one of those things that it's kind of, you don't go to the supermarket when you're hungry. You don't go to Gen Con when you're starved for gaming. Yeah, you don't walk through the dealer hall with uh, money to burn in your pocket. Yeah. But we, as I said, picked up a number of cool games. We played a lot of cool games. But the coolest game we played... Well, you're going to want me to say the WoW TCG, and I'm like 90% in agreement with you. 90? But... Really? Okay. Um, I'm a history major... And I work at a history museum, and there was a game about witches helping the American Revolution, which we'll talk about later. Come on, that was, that was the concept, at least. Is well, we didn't play that thing. at Gen Con, though. I, I semi-demoed it. <laughs> you spent all of ten seconds. You weren't even listening to the guy. You were busy running over to the pile of boxes to pick up true. the game. But anyway, we digress. But yes, the I WoW TCG was the best event, at least one of the top two events of my weekend. Oh, for heaven's sake. So we unfortunately missed the cube draft. Yes. But word on the street is that that went pretty successfully as well. Yes. A lot of people um, have been commenting about how they had such a great time, and it was a great intro back into WoW for the weekend, and people were asking to do it again. Yeah, I hope that next year we'll be able to work out the scheduling so that we can play as well, because in all honesty, the idea of a cube draft has got me wanting to do it, but with our group of people being us, it's kind of hard to run a one-on-one -on -one draft. Yeah, a little hard. So hopefully next year at Gen Con I'll be able to jump in on that. But to focus on the main event, so overall, I thought it was really well run, I think, as far as I know, everybody had a good time. Yeah, I think Logan did a great job. Which, um, time out. So, yeah, <laughs> real quick, we two failed. things. 
One, uh, we did get a bunch of suggestions from Logan included as to how we want to modify the podcast. One of the things is we're, we're going to try and target a slightly longer runtime. Yes. So, and we're going to call him Logan instead of William. Yes. So we uh, we learned that apparently we've been calling him the wrong name the whole time. So his name is William Logan Dyer, but he goes by Logan. So, yeah. So if we suddenly don't ever talk about William again, that's because we're calling him Logan like we should have been the whole time. Yeah. Sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> we'll see if we can correct it going forward. Yeah. So in any case... He put on a great event. We yep. ended up having a total of, what, 14 players? We had 14, which is the same number as last year, which is super exciting. Which may not sound exciting. It's like, oh, well, you stayed level. Who cares? Well, the big deal is that there was a contingent of players that couldn't make it this year. Yes, so the Kentucky contingency. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It sounds like something from history class. Yeah, it does. Um, but the Kentucky group couldn't make it this year. Um, there, I think, are five of you guys. But anyway, um, so that means... Hopefully next year we can look at... Possibly next year we can look at increasing our numbers a decent amount, along with hopefully continuing everybody who came out this year. Exactly, and maybe if we're fortunate enough as well, we can get some bleed over from the cube into Constructed and from Constructed into cube maybe some of the other people that were playing other games and were kind of poking their heads in as we were playing we'll see what's going on and maybe decide oh i remember that game or i didn't know that there's a better version of hearthstone yeah the amount of people who were leaning over my shoulder uh this week as i was um desperately attempting to pile shuffle going what's this game i remember this game i loved this game hopefully that means they'll come on out too Exactly. As we've said in other podcasts, still on the Reddit and in other places every once in a while, you see people popping up asking questions and they're clearly a new player. So maybe if you're out there listening and there's people at your local gaming store, maybe they're still interested and maybe you can kind of rope them back into the fold. Do it. So to go back to the event itself, one of the things that we wanted to talk about, Logan had posted up on the Facebook group, the Retro Wow TCG group, which if you're not a part of, definitely go check it out. He put out there a number of, or excuse me, not a number of, that's the wrong way to phrase it. He put out a list of what everybody played, as well as all of the matchups, right? Like, yes, correct. So what we want to do is kind of run through each of the decks that were played just to go over and talk about the event a little bit, what we played against specifically, anything unique that caught our eye, what, how we feel this influences our testing, just kind of a high-level thing. And then in future podcasts, we're going to try and dive more into, well, what information do we pull from this event? We're going to talk about that a little bit on this one, but we've got to save something for later on. So... Going from, and this is in the rank order, top to bottom, we had Emic the Equalizer, who is a horde undead priest. We have Separon the Poised, who is a troll shaman. You'll be familiar with him because he actually was the hero that was run for Spider Solitaire, which was this deck. Um, and then we had Varanus Bitterstar, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to take a guess. This is a elf. You are correct. It's an arcane mage, blood elf, 
and that build was the slow mage that pre- finished in third. All right, and then this one, I'm nine. Actually, I know who what this is. I was gonna get excited that I could guess again. This is Valinda Sepulcher, who is an undead, um, and also a mage. and also a mage. And this is Winter Wonderbolt. Which was something that, if you listen to our pre-Gen Con cast, or if you somehow, you know, creepily were watching Wife and I test, then we were very concerned about this deck. We have our curtains drawn. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> that would be uncomfortable. <laughs> That's, I'm looking around the kitchen in fear now. So, moving on, in fifth, we had Mogdar the Frozen Heart, which is the Death Knight Shaman monster hero. Then we have Wife's... Soul Drinker Bagmara, yep. who is a, um, she is a warlock uh, orc um, who got totally screwed by her husband. <laughs> and we'll get to that a little bit later. Yep. Uh, then after that, we have Jeral of Gilneas. It's a worgen hunter, followed by Ghoulmaster Kalisa, who is an undead death knight. Tyrus Blackhorn, who is a demon. Yeah, Demon Warlock. He's a freaking demon. (laughs) Uh, Moving on from there, it's Rordag the Sly, who I believe is a dwarf, but he's a rogue. Uh, Nicholas Merrick, who is a human. Yep. And I used to know what this human did. He was a warrior? No. It's Hans's deck. It is Hans's deck. Well, I don't know if that was the deck that was played, but that's the hero for Hans's deck. It's a human mage. Human mage. Uh, Then there's another Tyrus following that. Borguts the Impaler, and then finishing it up with Elendril, who is a Night, Night elf, elf Hunter. Night Elf. Yep. I got that one. Well, the name kind of gives I it do, away. I do name <clears throat> name clues. So, the reason why we wanted to run through the list is there is a wide variety. There ended up being four Alliance decks, three monsters, and then the rest Horde. So, one of the discussion points that's come up afterwards, and one of the things that we kind of wanted to talk about anyway, is faction disparity. Yes. So, um, obviously, there's a whole lot more Horde than there is Alliance. Now, there... I don't know if I'd say there's a whole lot more, because if you think about it, there's there's 14 total. So, there are three factions, assuming you group neutral and not just monster, because you can technically have neutral and monster separate if you really wanted to split hairs. seven Horde, seven non-Horde. Right. Um... So Horde definitely does have the majority, but it isn't, you know, yeah. it's not 12 out of 14 or Horde. This is true. Um, but there was some concern over um, over the fact that there wasn't an abundance of an Alliance deck. The Alliance right. deck seems harder, at least, to play. Now, I know, I'm pretty sure, Wife, that you posted in the group what our initial thought was. Well, you know, play, playing red is For the, horde. the better faction anyway. Alliance scum. In general. Yeah. So, I could certainly empathize with why someone would side with Horde. That being said, there are actually, I guess, more legitimate reasons to play it. Yeah, he keeps trying to give me these legitimate reasons to play it, and he actually like, is threatening to play Alliance next year. <laughs> this might be a separable offense. Yeah, like, we uh, it's it, it's I not guess, going well in our household. <laughs> I, I everything we have is hoard. It's true. Everything we have, like I, we have hoard clothes. To we be have fair, wife, dishes. I've always been more we neutral. I've been bushes. I've been like, leaning more what? scourge, regardless. Well, uh... but anyway, so 
one of the things that we've been thinking about, I know when I first started playing, Black Ice Fizzle Freeze was the big bad. And it continued to be through the Drums of War block because of the introduction of things such as Adam Eternum and Weldon Barov and Dimzer the Prestidigitator, which is a funny name to say. Yes. If, of all the Alliance cards, I may say that Dimzer mostly because of his name, but Dimzer might be one of my favorite cards. <laughs> not Baba Ganesh. He's not an alliance card. Oh, yeah, he's you're neutral. Right. Yeah, because he's, uh, whatchamacallit, Dalaran. Yeah, but also an excellent name. But the reason I like Dimzer so much is because of the card advantage that he generates, and he's also a threat on his own because he has a five attack. But point being is that I think there are some, well, I know there are alliance tools that, haven't really been used. And the reason I started with when I started playing way back in my day, kids get off my lawn. Because you are so old. Yeah, that's the reason. You're so much older than me. Yeah, sure. So the reason why I started with that is Black Ice was the big bad then. And wife had mentioned that one of the comments that came up was that Horde has always had the better end of it throughout the WoW TCG's history, which having not played from the very beginning, I can't say for certain. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I feel as though everything's been relatively even. So even when we started researching things for what we wanted to play, what other decks should go on the gauntlet, I usually jump back to 2011 when the Bunnies deck first appeared. So the NACC and the EUCC. The reason why is because although that was core and chopped down what cards were available, the majority of the major players from are still around because they're in Scourge War. So Broderick mm -hmm. was there, Tuskar Kite was there, all those sort of things. So it's a good starting point to say, okay, well, if these are the big cards that are really driving the format, then... It's kind of all we have. Unfortunately, the only other classic events that we really have to go off of are the Metamart events that we've discussed ad nauseum. And then there was also one in either Amsterdam or Cologne. It, it was in Europe, and I can't remember what year it was, but it was actually labeled as a classic event. It's on WoW Cards Info, and there's only two decks from that, the first and second place. And those two decks are Google Shaman, which are also Alliance. Yeah. So, it. long story short, we, we've come back to the same topic over, or the same refrain over and over again, that we don't have a whole lot of data. Yeah, um, which obviously makes it hard, but, but with the potential of possibly making new cards, which we know is coming on the horizon, um, yep. there's going to be... There are votes on Facebook right now. If you haven't seen them, um, I can't imagine you wouldn't because that's where most people, I think, see the link for this. But uh, votes on Facebook, really talking about how we're going to vote to create new cards and test new cards. Yeah, and that's going to be important. We don't want to dive too far into it in this particular episode, but we are going to dedicate future episodes to those yes. new cards. And then once everything's ironed out or as we're going through the process of even determining how we're going to determine the future, we're probably going to bring those up, but we don't want to jam-pack everything into one episode. Yeah. So circling back to what do we draw from this event? So 
let's start with going in. We obviously did the pre-Gen Con episode, wife. Yes. So what did your expectations going in get met by what we saw? Did you expect something totally different? Um, I expected more Rogue. Um, I don't like know. Like Vorix? Yeah. I... I don't know why. Like, I expected maybe to see one or two. I We saw the Tyrus that we expected. Um, and we saw Wondervolt, which we expected at least one. Um, but I really did expect to see a rogue. Well, I think that may be skewed by our internal testing. So true. I don't remember if we said it in the other episode. But aside from all the various cow builds that we had, I was inches away from playing Illidan the Betrayer. Or one of assorted different rogue heroes because I feel that rogue is very strongly positioned right now. It deals well with aberration hunter, which was notably absent from the event. Yep. Uh, and it also deals well with Tyrus builds because most of rogue's removal only cares about cost, not how big they are. Yeah. In addition, it also has pinpoint discard, so it can address wonderful. So it kind of checked all the boxes, mm -hmm. but I was having difficulty in testing getting it to consistently beat all three game one. And I personally feel that it's important to win game one so that you have, going into side deck, sideboard, however you want to call it, you have that game advantage. Yeah. You can then see and have a chance to see what your opponent is boarding against you. And if you lose that game, you can board again to try and get prepped for game three. Mm-hmm. So Rogue, the lack of Rogue there, that is, was kind of a surprise. Now, there was Rordag the Sly. He's actually one of the heroes I was looking at. This is true. But I kind of was, like you said, expecting Vorix. So in general, I, I think the biggest surprising thing is that nobody played werewolves. Yeah, I did think that was a surprise. Um Especially because it had been in both of the previous Metamorts, or just it was the, in a lot yeah. of them, and one of them top for last year's Gen Con. So yep. last year's Gen Con was another one that. So it cut to top four. There were two horde decks: Bogmara, another Amic deck, a Werewolf Hunter, and then Jasani. Which, since you're cutting to four, you have three factions. That's about as even as yeah. it's going to get. You're not getting any better than that. So. This time around, however, we ended up with skewing more Horde. Yes. Now, it was mentioned, I think Wife had said in the various discussions, that, well, you know, they, we don't have a whole lot of stuff combined. We had maybe 30 people between last year and this year. Yeah, which a total does make of, it difficult. Yeah, a total of maybe 10 rounds, counting the elimination rounds. Yeah. So we're not talking about a whole lot of information. And as we started out with, wife and I love playing Horde. Yes. Let's assume for a second that there are other people that like playing Horde. I mean, the Horde is just so much better. Like, once you forget about Garrosh, like, they're well, fine. Well, point being, wife, is that if you assume that since this is a annual event... You know, people don't get to play it all that often. They maybe are jumping back in, so they're just picking up whatever they happen to have. Or maybe, I remember this deck that I really loved. I don't know what people are going to play. I'm just going to play whatever I feel like. Yeah. It's kind of hard to draw conclusions. Yes, it's a competitive event, that's for sure. Yes, there's something on the line. But at the same time, would you agree that... <laughs> 
I mean, we're not playing for tens of thousands of dollars. No. We're, I'm, I'll be honest, next year I might show up just with something that I want to play because I want to do some weird, funky thing. Yeah, I I think it's a good... I think we're on the um, scale between competitive and casual, and I think it's a nice place right. to be. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that there isn't something that should or could be done to improve things. True. I'm always of the opinion just because things are good doesn't mean you shouldn't be looking for ways to improve. And there's already been discussions about ways that we can take this, whether there are more yeah. bands, less bands, different bands. One thing that wife and I have been discussing is really just a more regimented schedule. So it's good that Logan's already getting those polls up there, already starting stuff. It wouldn't necessarily be a bad idea to take another cue from Magic. They have scheduled banned and restricted announcements for each of their formats mm-hmm. four times a year, if I remember correctly. Yes. Might be three. I'm pretty sure it's quarterly. I think it's four times from stories you've told me in the past. Well, let's assume four, just because I don't have it in front of me and it's getting late when we're recording, so I don't remember. (laughs) But if that's the case, it may be worth doing that. The unfortunate thing would be to say, hey, we're going to dive into the format in May, and then we don't discover till end of June that, oh, well, this particular thing, let's say Broderick, (laughs) just to throw an example out there, is problematic or yeah. isn't problematic or whatever the case may be and then not have a whole lot of time to adjust. Yes, we're talking about small events. Yes, we just went through the fact that it's casual competitive hybrid. But at the same time, if you have these expectations going in, people get into a schedule and they know what to look for and they can prepare a, a argument, I guess, to say, make a case that this should be banned, this should not This should be changed. This should not. And starting it early, strictly on a practicality loop, I think everybody said at least at one point that their summer has been crazy. And that's another reason. I mean, that's the way life is. So that kind of covers the Horde Monster Alliance disparity that we wanted to talk about. Moving into more card ideas or cards, decks, whatever that you happen to see that stood out to your wife. What did you end up playing in the four rounds? So I ended up playing a um, warrior. Um, Borg. I ended up playing Borguts, um, and that went pretty well. Um, I ended up playing a terrible deck. It was awful. It was Emic, the Equalizer, and it... It was Why was that so, so terrible janky. for you, wife? Because it was built to beat me. It wasn't jerk. built to beat you. Okay, it was built to beat Tyrus, but essentially by bu- building it to beat Tyrus, you built it to beat you, me. Yeah, you suffered from a little bit of collateral damage yeah, there. So, you're a jerk. Holy Guardian is uh, is pretty good when 90% of your deck deals shadow uh, damage. Just, uh, uh, um, and then what else did you happen to play against in the last two rounds? I... I don't know, the rage just kind of blinded me from that point on. <laughs> um, so what'd you play in round three? In round three, I played Varanus Bitterstar, which essentially came down to um, Silvermoon City wrecking my life. Silvermoon, actually, if we want to take a moment there, is something that we found in testing. It was yeah. pretty strong. Yeah, so Silvermoon um, can turn off types of damage 
oh hey, my entire deck does shadow dam damage with the exception of like four cards. Silver Moon's one of those cards that is super powerful but never really made a competitive splash because there were always other things overshadowing it. Yeah. But I think with the, I guess, laser focus of many classic builds, competitive classic builds. So, example, Bogmar, lots and lots of shadow damage. Yeah. Tyrus, almost virtually all shadow damage. Um, you have your werewolves, which is a lot of nature damage. Right. I mean, there's a lot of other damage types, True. but nature is pretty prominent there. You could also go to a number of other decks that there are a lot of nature-based builds, either in Druid or Hunter or Shaman. If you move into other things, a lot of Freeze Mage builds mm -hmm. are going to naturally be Frost Damage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you really want to get cheeky and you're playing Implored Pinprick, it's 100% fire damage. Yeah. You can just turn off certain decks. And this kind of cycles back to our original discussion of when we were saying that there's not a lot of data. So these sort of adaptations... Now, I don't know whoever was playing slow, whether they had specifically... Because you could obviously play slow it just requires an arcane hero you could play it other ways it may but i don't know if they specifically kept baroness because again this was the build that they had or if they just happened to prefer having access to silver moon there are valid reasons to go into another class or faction even yeah which as a quick aside even though we're jumping around i do want to get back to your fourth round matchup but that's another reason to be careful about the faction disparity discussion that we were having earlier. So, for example, if you're playing Slow Mage, did did he play a single ally? No. I, I would think so. I would be very surprised if he did. Because there might be Broderick's. There might be no, a Deaf Ear yeah. if you went mage. But the point is, is that you could very easily play hundred percent without allies. But we're counting it as a, air quotes, horde deck. Yeah. Even so. though, it, yes, Varanus Bitterstar has a good flip, but there are valid other flips. Yeah. Like Spellweaver Jahan is super duper strong. You could very easily port it over to that. It, point being is that the hero doesn't always necessarily imply what's going on. So if you, mm -hmm. if you put it in red text, that doesn't necessarily mean it's really a horde deck. You know yeah. what I mean? So anyway, who who did you play round four? My round four was Ghoulmaster Kalisa, so a the Death Knight. And Ghoulmaster is a hero that I like. It was actually in the running for something I was planning on playing for a while because of the synergy with Anubarak. So the reason I went with Emic is because, honestly, mostly because of the flip to dump Anubarak in the graveyard to recur him faster. Mm -hmm. Ghoulmaster Kalisa lets you put a 3-3 Ghoul out and pitch Anubarak so that you can cycle him back. Yeah. But, uh, obviously I didn't end up playing that, but it was an interesting thought. I do like the potential for Death Knights, but we're going to talk about them in a second. So, I ended up playing round one against Elendril, who was a marksmanship night elf hunter. Round two, I played against Wife, as we discussed. Bitter. Round three, one. I played against Sephiroth <laughs> uh, the Poised, which was an updated version of Spider Solitaire, also including a Nubarak, and that really was the deciding factor that I had a little bit more control earlier on 
over when I could activate my Anubarak because my, fr my flip is free, whereas he had to do something. Granted, he had the quest, but you have to have the right combination of cards to activate uh, all things in good time, or he had to wait till Calamity's Grasp or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that ended up being, and I went first. The last round I played against Wondervolt, and as I mentioned in my tournament report on our website, randomthoughts.wordpress.com. Thank you. Randomthoughts.wordpress.com. I played against Wondervolt, and in the report I explained that basically I tested a lot of Wondervolt playing Wondervolt, but not playing against it. Wife didn't really feel comfortable playing the deck. No, no, I did not. It's, so it's much more complex than I care to live my life. So basically what ended up happening is I just kind of crossed my fingers and hoped and ran enough discard to be able to disrupt him enough to additionally mm -hmm. put on a clock. So aside from that, we did, as we went through at the top, see a bunch of Death Knights, which is cool. Yeah. And so this, again, ties into our idea of format health, what we think of the format in general. And honestly, I have a hard time recommending Death Knights to anybody. Yeah, Death Knights, Death Knights are hard. Well, the problem is, is they do have some of the most powerful cards in the game. Army of the Dead and Despair of Winter are fantastic. The problem is a lot of their other stuff is tied to weird effects. They, they suffer the same problem that Affliction Warlocks do. So Warlocks turn out to be great because they have a lot of universal removal. And they have some card draw. And they do other cool stuff. The Affliction side of Warlocks isn't that strong because you're you're sort of killing your opponent, you're sort of not because it takes forever, and then those cards don't affect the board outside of Grim Harvest, or not Grim Harvest, Grim Reach. Uh, it, it just doesn't work out that well generally. Death Knights suffer from something similar with their diseases, then they're spread into their blood talents, which for the most part outside of Blood Parasite are kind of bad. Really, you want to be playing Unholy, but the problem is that Unholy does it. It gives you Corpse Explosion, which is great, but it does damage. What? Saying Corpse Explode is fun. <laughs> but Corpse Explosion fun. does Shadow Damage, which, as we discussed, could be a liability. And Werewolves don't care because they have Aberration. It becomes kind of clunky, and you could very easily croak before you hit turn 5, especially if you go 2nd in time to Despair of Winter. And even if you do, are they just going to unload their hand again and run you over anyway? Yeah. Uh, it It's unfortunate. The biggest issue, though, that we had was Death Knights have no way to interact with Wonderful. Yeah. and that, I mean, not literally no way, but... Yeah, essentially. It's You can discard Hailstorm, pick a way. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, half a dozen, whatever... You can discard Hailstorm. You can uh, use Arcane Torrent if you're Horde <laughs> to cycle yeah. back to that. Uh, you can Retainer Marcus, naming one of the parts. But I think there's one other... Yeah, there's definitely one other thing that's escaping me right now that I had on my list. Uh, but point is, is that they have very, very limited ways to deal with it at instant speed. And most of the time, if you're playing a Death Knight, you're not putting on a big enough clock to end the game, it, like threaten them in any way. Your Wondervolt opponent is just going to sit there and sit there.
and sit there and sit there. And since you can't make them discard, you have virtually no ways to deal with their combo once they start going off, and they're going to end the game that turn. Yeah, I can't say to play them. Like, it's just super hard. And I'm not even confident, honestly, that Death Knights can beat up on other stuff either. So we had problems with them just straight up getting run over by Werewolves or Tyrus or Bogmara or insert other aggro deck. Yeah, um, it's... They just seem expensive and they seem like they take a little bit, like just a little bit too much time yeah, to really you always, get going. You always feel one turn behind unless you get, you know, you hit that Death Charger turn two or turn three, whatever, and you can roll multiple removal spells back to back to back starting from turn one. And even then, you may be falling behind depending on how your opponent wants to play the game. And since you can't really interact with the combo decks, you can't really interact with the control decks, you're in a bad spot. Yeah. So aside from that, most other classes I feel have, well, I guess maybe Hunter is in not a great spot either. I mean, yeah. They also have another issue where they can't deal with specific permanent types very yeah. easily, namely ongoing abilities, which Tyrus is one that springs to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, really, any Warlock stuff, the Wondervolt deck uses ongoings, Slow uses ongoings. A lot of decks have powerful ongoings, even if it's simply Tuskar Kite. And you have a hard, Hunters have a hard time dealing with it. Yeah, they definitely do. Aside from that, though, I feel a lot of things could, across the rest of the classes, are potentially viable. I agree. I think there's a lot of room to play, and there may be even more room to play in the future. Definitely. And including wife said, as she was joking before, that it's going to cause a separation in our marriage that I might play Alliance. It's, I, mm... Well... At least the hero is a werewolf wife. The hero is a werewolf. Yeah, but then you go back to Twilight nonsense and Yeah, but these aren't these aren't Twilight werewolves. Stop. Yeah. Stop. And and there's a quest that makes puppies. Yeah, that's the only reason you're gonna sell me on it, and you could just get me another puppy. So here to, to here to let out the, the secret out of the bag a little early. I guess way early. Uh, one of the ideas that we considered going in, and I think we've mentioned it before, is Hans Ho's Deathwing build. So the deck is based around Nicholas Merrick and using actually Mirror Image. So you generate a bunch of tokens and use mage ongoing abilities, say Smoldering Blast, Everlasting Cold, Blizzard, etc. You stall the game out. And then, say, turn five or six... <laughs> you make all the tokens. Yeah, you make a ton of tokens all on Mirror Image. All the tokens. Every and Magni. And, you know... Magni tokens. Signet of Manifested Pain. So you generate all these tokens. Well, why? Who cares? Why aren't you playing another mage deck? Tell us why. Then you kill all your tokens and go, boom, my name is Deathwing. Nice to meet you. Game over. So I was playing in 2013 side event at Worlds Classic, and I was playing Jasani, which we've talked about yeah, before. Talked it's about a before. dual hero, druid hunter. It's a monster hero. Super late game control, virtually no permanence. I'm playing against Hans Ho, 
And I'm like, oh, well, he's playing what seems to be Spellweaver Jahan, just a slightly weird build. No. Yeah, I'm like, well, why is he Nicholas Merrick? I don't get it. What fire talent is he playing? Why wouldn't you be Spellweaver? What, like, why are you playing Mirror Image? What is going on? And then, like, turn six, he slams Deathwing the Destroyer on the board. And I'm just like, oh, oh. oh okay. I'm like, I'm, I might as well be a million turns from turning into a Master Hero. I don't have any way in my hand to do, like, everything's answers. You take five damage, you destroy cards. So... The reason why I bring this up is we were trying desperately to make a variety of Deathwing builds work, and some of them were pretty close. Yeah, I think um, we came close. I I was very close to playing Deathwing, so, not an Alliance Deathwing. Well, the, the potential is you could play, I think it's Kavar the Ruthless or Kavar the Relentless or something, mm-hmm. whatever. It's, a, it's the Worgen Death Knight, and you play Blood Parasite. And that is an ongoing that puts three 1-1 one, one tokens out, and whenever a token dies, you yeah. heal for two. So that serves a similar purpose as Mirror Image in Hans's deck. Then you get all the typical Death Knight removal, as we discussed, the Sweepers, the Death Chargers, stuff like that. You get Magni to generate tokens. And then you turn into Deathwing. So that gives you your answer to other control decks, because yeah. you, there are few interrupts that can deal with it. You can play around Taste of the Arcana. And once you've turned into the Master Hero, you're the Master Hero. You're, they have yeah. to deal with you. And you have, I think, 40 health. You have Assault 5. You're blowing up two permanents a turn. Yep. Against Aggro, you could just play typical Death Knight Control or turn into Deathwing, and they're going to have a hard time dealing with Deathwing. Yeah. You still, unfortunately, run into the issue with Wondervolt, which is part of why we shelve the deck. Mm-hmm. Why do I bring this up? Well, one, as we did mention, we wanted to do a build-around segment in some of our podcasts, and this is kind of the idea we we were thinking. Just bring up a card, bring up a theme, bring up an idea, and talk about it, rather than do the deep dive that we did previously. Yeah. Also, it kind of highlights that you could go into something on the blue side that has potential. Yes. So... The other piece is we do want to, in a future episode, kind of do a build-around, but just as Alliance as a whole. Yeah. And really, this is going to come down to us complaining about the cards on the blue side that make yeah. us want to scream, because things uh-huh. such as Mikhail the Blunt are some of wife's favorites. Yeah, so much fun. Party for them. Yay. <laughs> but there are some powerful cards, although, as I was looking up stuff on WoW TCG browser... There are some holes in the Alliance lineup, namely at... Level 1. Yeah, at turn 1. Horde has, say, Rosalind, Bloodsoul, Broderick, and those are just the ones off the top of my head. You can probably go into other fringe... They just name like, half my deck right now. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas Alliance, it's, like, Garrett Weiss, Lady Bancroft, uh... Yeah. Maybe that's it. I read Garrett... Lady Bancroft is really strong, though. Like, she's, mm-hmm. she's pretty strong. But in any case... We'll, we'll think about it later. Yeah, we'll go into that in another Maybe, episode. Since, since the conversation came up of, is Alliance in a bad spot? Yeah. I think it's not looking great for them. But I don't know if we've... We collectively have looked at it closely enough. What do you yeah. think, wife? Um, 
I mean, I will openly say that I haven't looked at it closely enough. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's something to delve into, and I think, please, especially if you can think of cards that we can't, because we're probably not going to have time to go through every single card. That oh, we're yeah. Doing. This is always um, one of those where it would be great at, for the listeners to have a discussion as a yes. whole. Because not just making new cards, not just deciding about the format, but really how do we want this game to be? You know, everybody, you don't have to do everything. I mean, Logan's putting on the events and putting a lot of effort into that. You don't have to be going out there and, you know, doing whatever. Even if you just, you know, throw your two cents in, it's worth having the discussion just to talk about the game. It's especially worth worth having the discussion now before it's too late. (laughs) And by that she means we don't want to be talking about, well, how do we want to implement this in July? Yeah. We don't want to be talking about this on August 1st, 1st next year when Gen Con is August 3rd. Yeah. Well, the, the, the other main reason is that it, we all have to accept that everybody has a real life and everybody's doing things yeah. other than WoW, probably playing other games too. Why would you do that? But with that in mind, you want to make sure that when we do get around to playing WoW, we being everybody, that... Everything is focused. So if we're trying to figure out, okay, is Broderick a problem? Is Hezriana a problem? Is Wonderful a problem? That it's focused and it's, you know, oh, well, yeah, we should probably check that out as opposed to, you know, we're just kind of throwing everything at the wall to make it stick. You know, more of a scientific approach, test a hypothesis with it. Mm -hmm. So that'll kind of do it for us unless you got anything else to throw in life uh nope other than uh remember that the poll about the polls is up on the facebook so take a gander at that um comment on anything even if it's how husband made a deck to beat his wife and (laughs) it's just not acceptable Um, i'm never gonna hear the end about that okay keep that in mind (laughs) and on that note i'm wife And I'm husband. Keep in tune for Off Topic. Welcome to Off Topic. So, husband. Yes. So, what are we talking about today? I don't know. What are we talking about? We are talking about Witches of the Revolution by Atlas Games. This is actually a pretty sweet game. If you're not familiar with it, A, you can put us on pause, promise we won't be offended, and go look it up. Yeah. Um, they have a Facebook under Atlas Games. They have um, actual a website too. Um, but so, the whole thought process of this game, I'm going to give you a little bit of the lore. Um, well, I could go very on and on. I could start with the Seven Years' War, but I'm going to start in 1770. I guess I should start in 1776. I could start before. But there was this little event. Called the American Revolution. You it really may have started heard of in 1775. It. Well, yeah, and technically before. Hi, I'm a history major. I teach and work at a history museum devoted to the American Revolution. For our American History podcast, please. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. We're not doing. We we probably oh, could do that one would of those. Be so much fun. Anyway. All right, we'll write that down for later. Um, but this whole game centers around how the witches of the colonies decided to fight back against the British. Is that a pretty good... I would say. And aid the colonial 
side. Right. So there's, according to the game, and, well, let's take a step back. So this is a deck builder, specifically a cooperative deck builder. So if you've played Star Realms or you've played uh, Ascension, it's that sort of game, but it's all of the players versus the game. Yes. So you win by completing four objectives, which are shown... You could choose which ones you want to do. There are suggestions on how to do it, air quotes, randomly mm-hmm. with the game because there are some criteria around it. But you complete the four objectives and you win. You can lose in a number of different ways. Yes. One of which is you lose all the freedom. Yeah. So if so you go from liberty is at the top at seven and tyranny is down at the bottom at one and certain cards will make you add liberty or lose liberty and go closer to tyranny. Exactly. So if you have succumbed to the tyranny of the British and I guess their otherworldly allies based on the way some of the cards yeah. go, then you end up losing. The other way to lose is there is another tracker. So the game actually comes with a literal board. Yes. That it's a fold-out board, and as wife mentioned, there's a liberty tracker on one side. Down at the bottom, there's an event tracker. So each turn, and if you've played other cooperative games along this line, you're probably familiar with this idea. You flip over the top card of an event deck, and then it does stuff. Usually it's bad stuff. And usually you want to deal with the event and make the event go away. Exactly. Um, Because if you get too many events on your board, you lose. Exactly. And as the events increase, a lot of them will pile on top of each other, causing more bad stuff. As they move down the track towards ending the game for the players, it will also impact, say, the Liberty track, or it will remove cards from the center row where you can purchase new allies. Yeah, new allies that essentially help you deal with the event track or your objectives. Or... There is a moon track over on the left. There's a lot of tracks in this game. There's a lot of parts. Your events super expensive. So the idea is thematic that as the moon changes its phases, the witch's power wanes. Yes. So what ends up happening is, depending on certain events or other things that happen in the game, specifically the one that will most commonly trigger it is when you reshuffle your deck. So if you're familiar with deck builders, you start out with a base of X number of cards, in this case 15. They're all seekers. They are representing the witches that start on your team. Each person has their own deck. Draw a hand to five. You can play them. You can buy cards. You can use them to address the events or deal with other parts of the game. In this particular one, one of the cool things is that you can assist other people on their turn In dealing with events. Right. Whereas most deck builders, it's your turn, it's your turn, it's your turn. You can't do anything outside of it. This one, one of the cool facets is, like I said, you can do stuff on other Mm -hmm. people's turns. You can help people. It adds a little bit more because now you're not sitting there waiting for everyone. Okay, is it my turn yet? Is it my turn yet? So what ends up happening is eventually you're going to have to reshuffle your deck. Yeah. Normally in deck builders... You, you want to reshuffle yeah, your deck. Yeah, and you it's actually want to thin it out. Helpful. Right. Um, you want to thin it out. You want to get, you know, your starting cards gone. You want to just use the cards that you bought that might go together. They might make a cool combo. Except in this one, you buy the cards, and instead of going to discard like they normally would, these go on top of your deck. The cards you purchase. Yeah, the cards you purchase. The ones you per- use to purchase Go instead of going forever. to your discard get removed from the game. Also um, a departure from yeah. deck builders. 
So, um, they go on top of your deck, which is great, except now your, your deck, your, you are still going to draw for your hand. You're depleting your deck size. Well, when you go to zero, you have to reshuffle in your discard pile now. Which then increases then the increases moon track. the moon track, which increases the cost of the event track, which increases the likelihood that the events are going to pile upon each other, which increases the likelihood that you are going to go- move further and further away from liberty and into tyranny. In case you're not sure, because we did throw a lot of things out there, the short version is that when bad stuff happens in this game... It does have a tendency to spiral. Yes. So bad quickly. thing one now makes bad, th- or bad thing one influences bad thing two. Bad thing two influences bad thing three. Bad thing three then makes one worse, and then the cycle continues over yeah. and over and over and over again until it may be unmanageable and you lose. Now, um, just talking about um, really the cards. In general, um, we have the four factions, I guess we would call them. I guess, yeah. Um, they, they really don't really matter. Yeah, now, they don't the really art, matter. It's just the artwork the does delineate them as different characters, I guess. So you have different kinds of witches. Yeah. But it doesn't have any gameplay impact. No, um, it's just a, like a fun little thing. So you right. have... Uh, voodoo and hoodoo witches, you have uh, Native American witches, you have Puritanical witches, and for a Puritanical la- witch? Yeah. Salem was a thing? I, I guess, but did the, would the witch in Salem okay. count as Puritanical? A, I th- Come on, history major. I would think technically, yes. I mean, I guess they start as that. I don't know. We, they're, they're dressed in Puritanical ways and the costumes on the thing. Okay. Yeah. Then we'll go with that. Um, and, then, and then you have your Lady of Fashion. Right. Um, which, those are your four your four groups. Um, and, like husband said, you all work together, but there is one really cool aspect of this game, is you can play it by yourself. Yes. Um, it is made to be anywhere from one to four players. Which is obviously new compared to a lot of deck builders, because usually your minimum is two. Well, a lot of other deck builders, well, maybe not a lot of deck builders, but a lot of games are including this feature of having a solo play experience. Because it is something, and anybody out there listening that has, for lack of a better way to put it, a real life, and you you have a full-time job, or kids, or whatever, you understand that sometimes it just does, or your friends have those, it's tough to be able to get enough people to play games sometimes and sometimes hey just i'm sitting at home game. it's raining it's saturday i don't feel like watching much on tv i don't feel or like maybe doing... you're not speaking to your husband because he built a deck to beat you when you're playing wow yeah that's what happened um <laughs> then you just want to play a deck by a game by yourself well this is a game that allows you to do that which i think is a really cool um I guess, bonus for right. this game. Now, at the time of this recording, we have not played the hard mode. We've only played no. the, air quotes, normal or easy mode. Yes. So, in the instructions, they explain that for the event deck, you take out all of the hard stuff for your first few plays. Yeah. Um, you know, the normal thing of don't crush the new player. Yeah. Well, we, we still found it... We got crushed by the game. Well, we did have a couple we, of game players the first Well, we got times. crushed by the game. The No, we didn't... I don't think we lost any of them, but we were doing very poorly... Simply because we misunderstood one of the rules. Yeah, we misunderstood the moon phases and 
added more events instead of making the events expensive. Yeah, we basically we made it harder on ourselves because we misread something in the rules. Yeah. We went back and checked, and we go, oh, well, that changes things. Yeah. But um, overall, even the easy mode is pretty hard. It's a um, worth, I think it's worthwhile. My, my own concern with these sort of games is how difficult is it? Because if it's super easy, there's no point in replaying it. Yeah. It's just you're, you're playing war, like the old card game war, where it's just flip over cards and see who wins kind I of thing. war. It was simple. <sighs> so I don't, but I don't want to pay $60 or to, to play war. How much was it? Uh... I think it might be right. It was 40 or 60. It, it was somewhere. Basically, I don't yeah. want to pay double-digit dollars to play. Well, I don't want to pay any dollars to play war. But yeah, point is, is that it it's challenging enough at any level to warrant replayability. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, when you go along with the theme, um, some of your objective cards are super fun. Um, like you can cure Paul Revere of his lycanthropy. You can also imbue the Liberty Bell with power. You can rebuild the cairn at Chestnut Hill. There's there's a lot. That yeah. it, it, especially because, as wife mentioned, being a history person, and we, I am as well, and we were geeking out over the references to things where it's, you know, you, you know these things from American history, but at the same time, it's still cool to you know, this, this random battle or this specific place or this yeah. thing. Or... And it's cool to add a little bit of a twist onto something that a lot of us have gone through classes and classes right. and classes on. Now, the negative that I would throw out there is that I feel the game, it's fun, but it's a different kind of fun. So as we said, we were geeking out over the history aspects. I felt that was more fun than the game itself. Yeah. Um, now... I obviously we haven't played the hard mode yet. It might um, change some of our views on it as we go into a little bit more complex strategy and things like that. But a lot of it did seem to come down to beat the events as quickly as humanly possible. Right. There wasn't a lot of strategic decision making where it's okay on my turn. I have to deal with something. How do I deal with it? Now, there's, in the rules, indications that, and maybe we just didn't hit these cards. I'm pretty sure we went, no, we went through the deck the whole one time. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's in the hard events when you complete it, that your, your main phase, you get two actions. You can, and you can do both. You can buy a card, or you can deal with an event. And since you can only deal, our assumption is you can only deal with a single Event. You can only deal with a single event. They got back to me today with that question. Okay, so since you can only deal with a single event, and as we discussed, since things can spiral, you basically need to deal with one every turn. And often, by the way the rules work out, you can usually only deal with one. Now, there is a lot of planning as far as, okay, wife, on your turn, you're going to do this, so that when it comes around to my turn, I'm going to do this, and then more third person, they can do that. Problem is that there are some cards that can just totally throw a wrench in that, yeah. which is good. But it did feel like, okay, I can do this, and this is my only option. If I don't do it, we're going to lose, so I yeah. have to do it. Um, but in general, I would say it's definitely an amusing game. Um, I would say... I felt it was worth the price of admission on this yeah, one. Yeah, I think it was definitely worth it. Um, I think if you are not... If you don't think you would get value out of a game about witches aiding the American Revolution just by virtue of the theme, 
it may not be worth it. Yeah, it may not be the game for you. Um, if, however, um, the Patriot movie makes you want to bang your head against a wall <laughs> and um, you spend just a little bit too much time talking about a risky, this might be the game for you. Yeah. But thank you for listening, and I hope you'll check out Witches of the American Revolution by Atlas Games. Hi, everyone. If you like the show, and if you want to see some of our deck lists written out or some of our other thoughts about the game, please visit us at our website, randomsthoughts.wordpress.com. Again, that's randomsthoughts.wordpress.com. And you can also email us at randomsthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you soon.